You're listening to episode 375 of the GNU World Order. My name is Klaatu, and in this episode we'll be looking at a bunch of applications that come installed on your Slackware system by default. If you're not running Slackware, that's okay. They're probably available on your Linux distribution, whatever it may be. You just have to look around for it a little bit. Or just find them online. They're open source. You can download and compile them and run them. Okay, so I want to start on the... We're in the AP package set. We got through MariaDB in the previous episode, so we're doing we're doing the M section, Mike M. Uh, and hopefully, I think we might be able to finish the M section today in this episode, if we're very careful. And by we, I mean me. I'm going to try to be relatively quick in coverage, because a lot of these are actually simple applications, but listen to me, I'm wasting time. Let's get started. Oh wait, there's listener email. Luckily, mail starts with M, so we can do this. So the electronic mail from DeepGeek is a white paper about how BSD, or OpenBSD specifically, is working or was working at, at like a couple of years ago now to secure web servers, to make a, a web server more secure. And one of the th- one of the sp- the really, really obvious or standout-ish kinds of uh, things that was listed in this paper. I mean, there were, there, were, there are several points, like forking OpenSSL, Crypto, and LibreSSL, and combining them or, or using bits and pieces from those two for, for their own SSL stack or something like that. Uh, there was stuff about configuration, implementation, and so on, or uh, implementation and design. Uh, but, but the configuration of the this the server that they're using the web server to run by default in a cheroot really stood out to me because I, I think that that was probably why DeepGeek sent me the article it, it stood out because it really kind of goes to show how valuable this concept of isolating processes really can be and that's something that they specifically mention in this paper i mean one of the one of the mitigation techniques that they use in openbsd which is famously considered pretty secure is to just put their web server the thing that is listening for outside communication and putting out a lot of communication into the world is to put it in a, essentially in a, a container. I mean, it's not a container. It doesn't use C groups, and it's not... The the, the PIDs are, are in the same namespace and so on, but essentially it's an isolated tank where you put your web server, and then should any code get into that web server, because the web server is always listening for, for communication, right? So if, if you figure out how to insert code into that web server's processing workflow and something bad happens that shouldn't happen, then that code that you've injected into that web server, when it gets out of that process, out of, outside of that web server uh, loop, then the root of the system, as far as that code will know, is a fake root, right? It's not the actual root of your server of your actual unit the the server the os that you're actually running it's it's a fake root it's a cheroot it's been cherooted such that there's a root with you know all of your web server stuff in there but it's not leading to any other information that's on your system it's not leading a, a to a to a point on your system where maybe some bad code would have expected to find some valuable information or or a place to poison your system or, or whatever the code is meant to, to do to do really really interesting to see that that was such a highlight in this paper i mean it's not from ages ago it's i think it's 2015 or something so it's it's 
relatively recent, but notable, I think, for that purpose. Like, that that's... That's the value of isolating processes. And I think as computing continues to evolve, I think we have seen and we will continue to see that model being more and more valuable. I mean, you see everyone moving in that direction. It's just all over the place. It's on your mobile. It, it might be on, on your computer already. It may be on, it may be in your package manager if you're using, for instance, Flatpak. If I can call, like, Flatpak a package manager, I know it's not really, but, I mean, that command set, pulling from Flathub and so on, updating from Flathub, that's, we could call it a package manor, a manager of sorts, pulling down SDKs, kits, and so so on. So it, it, it could even be on your operating system at, at a, a lower level, like silver blue uh, fedora where the system is immutable and you're installing all your packages essentially as flat packs uh, and and so on so kind of a kind of an important deal and it kind of underscores how that concept of of not exposing the whole layout of your operating system to just any old foreign process it's kind of important I mean, it may be one of those things that we look back in 10 years and just chuckle and think, I can't believe we all thought it was okay to do that in the past. You know, like when we look back at the internet 20 years ago and we think, oh, wow, they just had open email relays. How how crazy is that? Yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy now, but then it... it demonstrably was not um and and now we're we're possibly in 10 years we'll be looking back at us now thinking wow we would just run local applications straight on the os like without a cheroot or without a jail or without a container of any sort without any kind of namespace isolation ah how crazy was that what were we thinking well we we were thinking you know for a long time that 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 that's all we needed, and I think it is starting to evolve in a different direction. I mean, I'm no expert. I could be wrong. I could be misreading all. You know, I could I could get this all wrong, and possibly this is just a little weird deviation in the in in a steady flow of computing. I mean, I think you could almost argue that virtual machines was that. Virtual machines were kind of a deviation. I mean, they're they're basically gone now. They're not really gone, but I mean, as a solution, as the as the kind of solution that they were being, that they were they were headed towards being like the solution, and and now they're they're gone. I mean, they've they've changed into containers. I think you could probably argue that well, the the, the theory and the concept was is, is really really similar. But I'm just saying this idea of I'll just throw a VM on my machine and and live in my VM for a while. That's just not something that people typically do anymore. Maybe that's what's going to happen with containers. I don't know. But I'm feeling like that's not... I feel like this is at at least on the right track just because of the history that we've had now. As we looked just in the previous episode, I think we were talking about Deep Geek's uh, email about the, the history of containers from like 1979, I think it was, on up. And, and now we're, we're kind of looking at, at, at how that has been utilized in lots of different use cases with with really really great success so thanks deep geek wherever you are for that for that email i will include a link to the pdf uh, report in the show notes okay so um let's start i'll do i'll go a little bit out of order here just for for logic purposes because two of them are similar Two of the packages that i want to talk about today are similar there's mock and there so so that's mock actually 
and there's MPG123. Both of those are media players. Mulk is not to be confused with Mulk. It is a different Mulk. And I'm, I'm saying Mulk because I don't want it to get confused with Mock, which would be a completely different thing, which also should not be confused with Mock, which is a completely different thing. Uh, not on Slackware anyway, I don't think. I'm maybe, maybe somewhere, but, but the Mock I know is a building tool for Fedora, sort of a fake root type tool, whereas Mock is a version of awk, and mulk is uh, one of two things. It's either the package called mulk, M-O-C, or it's the, uh, it, it's the, it's a compiler command that ships with the Qt libraries. So, confusingly, M-O-C, if you're not already confused, uh, M-O-C, music on console, M-O-C, the package, provides M-O-C-P. That is the command that you'll be issuing if you want to run music on console player, M-O-C-P. If you type mulk, M-O-C, on your, at your terminal right now, you may not have anything. Like, if you don't have any of the cute libs installed for whatever reason, uh, then you wouldn't, you won't find an M-O-C. It'll just error out. But if you do have those installed, then you'll find that MOC points to something like USR slash lib 64 slash cute slash bin slash MOC. So if we do an MOC dash dash help, we get a list of things about um, how to compile um, some some code and w- where the includes are and, and things like that. Not what we're doing right now. Instead, if we do man MOCP, that takes us to the man page for music on console, which is a console audio player. And MOC is a console audio player with a simple incurses interface. So what that means is that this isn't going to be like uh, Madplay. Uh, yeah, Madplay. This is meant to be like a, a GUI application, except in your terminal. Sometimes people call that a TUI. T-U-I, which in New Zealand, by the way, is a, a very famous and popular bird with absolutely beautiful, um, beautiful song. So MOCP will take over your terminal when you type in MOCP, takes over your terminal and becomes a little player with controls and stuff like that, a, a, a display, a, a directory listing, and so on. It is run from a terminal. It takes over that terminal. So if you, you'll probably want to use it in a terminal that has tabs or that you're running in tmux or screen or something like that, because otherwise you'll start the thing and you'll and then you'll be out of business. That's all your terminal is doing. Well, that's not entirely true, as it turns out. You do have a dash dash server option to run the MOC server, and that way you can, in theory, talk to the player from a, a different location. So there is that option. Unfortunately, the man page doesn't tell me that, as far as I can tell, how then to interact with it. So I, you know, it, it kind of identifies that there is a server mode, and and that I would assume that implies that there's a client mode, and there is a, a slight mention of a client, because it tells me that uh, there's a mock p underscore client 
underscore log file that you can define, but it doesn't it doesn't tell me how once once I've started the server, how do I communicate with it? Well, we can try it anyway. We can go to um I'll, I'll go to a a drive that I have full of music, and this will be a little bit easier for me because I actually have mock one of the MOCP, one of the features of that is that it plays AUG, FLAC, Wave, MP3, and even other formats. So, uh, whereas Madplay, of course, was limited to MPEG-3, which was only uh, useful to a certain degree for me, this is a lot more useful because it, it does handle a lot more, a lot more um, file formats. So I'm just typing in, oh, I'm typing MOC instead of MOCP. That's going to kill me. Um, so MOCP, uh, by default, it's, it sort of loads its previous location, so wherever you left off, unless you set the directory with the dash dash music dash dir, or just dash m for short, so that it knows kind of where to start out. So I'm going to do music dash dir and space dot, because I just changed directories into a, a folder full of AUG files. So on the left side of the screen, so my screen turns blue, the, the terminal screen, the background becomes blue, white text, very DOS mode, people who are into that will love it probably. I imagine, I don't actually know, never never really seen actual DOS in motion, I've seen free DOS, uh, but I understand that the blue on, uh, the white on blue is kind of, yeah, that's, I think that's a, the DOS mode, or the DOS look for a lot of people. Left side, is the current directory where I am in, you know, PWD, left side. Right side is a playlist, which I can build with songs that are um, on the left side if I wanted to. The way to do that is to click the, or not click, uh, press the A button. So if I go over to this folder, did you just hex me? It's a metal band, Creative Commons metal band, and go to the track one, A, then I'll go down to track I don't know, 3A, and that gets added to the right side of the screen. Go down to track 7, 9, and then finally 13. So now I've just added five tracks to my to the left side. Now I can navigate my file system once I'm in MOCP by just arrow keying, and of course at the very, very tippy top of the directory on the, again, the left side, that's my PWD, there are two dots. So I go back, and sure enough, I'm in, the, in my uh, metal, my Creative Commons metal directory. So I'll go down to Mintat, it's a really good band actually, and I'll add track 3, I think that's the really long one, and track 1. It is kind of weird how, and those are mp3s, so that's kind of cool that I found an mp3 band without trying, but I can now build a playlist that contains both both AUG and and um, AUG and mp3 files in one playlist in the same player. And I realize for a lot of people that's not a big deal. I'm just comparing it to to Madplay, for instance, which would only play MP3s. So, and I, I don't mean to disparage Madplay for only. I've already talked about that last time, but it, it is nice to have multi-format support, certainly. Okay, so a couple of different commands that one would want to know, I guess. the The basic commands are um, space to play or pause, or is it space or maybe. Uh, return actually enter whatever enter um, I actually use enter normally so let's let's try let's try space yeah okay cool so here's what what um, here's what happens so um, I guess I'll instead of 
trying to do this logically, I'll do it through a workflow. So if I'm over in the left-hand column, if I'm in my um, file system, to get over to my playlist, I can just, you, you hit tab. And then you, you then you can do the same thing, you know, arrow around in your playlist and uh, select whatever song you want. Now, if you just want to start playing from the top, you go to the first track and hit enter on your keyboard and then it starts playing from that track. Hit space, it pauses. Now once you're in pause mode, you can hit space again to unpause and that would be the normal, I think, workflow, right? You want to pause your music, you pause it and you play it and that's the space bar, pause play. But if you want to change track and start playing that track, you hit, you go to whatever track you want to play and you press return or enter whatever, whatever it's called on your keyboard. So that's that's the sort of the basic um, workflow for for adding, you know, building your playlist and starting it to, to play and pausing it and so on. Other other sort of I guess obvious things would be, for instance, clear the playlist. Uh, that would be uh, Shift C. You can shuffle with uh, Shift S. You can force something to repeat with Shift R. Play the next file in. And as you can guess, uh, previous file would be, nope, not P for previous, it would be B for back. That threw me off a lot before I discovered uh, the next tip, which I'll, I'll give to you in a moment. But um, P is to pause as well. I don't know why they do that, but N and B, of course, uh, you may actually kind of recognize from Emacs. It's a little bit Emacsy, Not entirely, but it's a, it's a bit emacsy so um the 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 really good useful tip i guess is um that what is it uh is it just i think it's just question mark yeah it's one of those things where you have to do it in order to remember it so it's it's just question mark shift question mark to get your help menu so you'll be using that a lot when you're when you're learning MOC. You'll be ref- referencing your help screen a lot, and to get out of your help screen, it's Q. That won't quit MOC. It just quits, or rather MOCP. It just quits the help screen, gets you back into MOC's interface, and then you can do whatever you want to do. Honestly, like 80%, 90% of what you're going to be doing in this application is exactly what I've just described, which is just looking around your file system, building a playlist, and 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 going about your business that way. There's probably a way to save your playlist. I never have, I have not done that. Um, I'm going to, I'll try it in a moment. Um, I very rarely save playlists anyway, and in fact, I very rarely build playlists because I, I think I've said in previous episodes, back when I was, when I had actual physical media of music, I ripped everything as a full album. I didn't rip it as separate tracks. So I very rarely have to build a playlist. I simply point it at an album file and have the whole album play. That's just the way I enjoy my music. Um, but, you know, with stuff that I download from Bandcamp or whatever, it might be a little bit different. They have they have entire track listings that I have to deal with. Although I'm, it's not it's not completely beyond me to just um, uh, chain all of those together into one file, <laughs> losslessly, loss just combine them. I've, I have definitely done that before. Um... So most of your, your activity is going to be arrow, 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 and then A to add a file to your playlist, and then just going over to your playlist with tab and hitting return to start your playlist, and then you just kind of forget about it. At least that's that's how I that's how I manage it personally. Um, if you are running in a GUI, you'll probably just manage your music, or rather your volume, with your whatever GUI interface you've got for your volume. Um, otherwise, you can increase and decrease the volume with either the greater than or less than symbol. That does it by by just minute increases. Or 
you can do 5% increases with a comma and a dot. So that's, uh, oh, and you, and you can scan through a, a music file with arrow keys. So that's a nice feature. You can kind of fast forward, rewind, that sort of thing. There's also a different layout option, sort of. So it's it's a little bit like Tmux or Screen, I guess, in a way. Or, or like Emacs, um, if you configure it right. Point being, so you have two columns naturally. You've got your uh, file system on the left, your playlist on the right. I do find that I quite like that layout myself. But if you've got really long file names, or maybe you're just done scanning through your, your file system, you just don't need that that view up, you can hit L for a layout. And that expands your current column to take up the entire terminal. So for instance, if I'm in my PWD, hit L, now all I see is my file system. Hit L again, it splits it back up. I can tab over my playlist and hit L, now all I see is my playlist, or get out of that with L again. So that's that's the, the basic interactions with MOC. It's really simple, very intuitive, you get it pretty quickly, and I gotta admit, it's pretty nice. Um, it is nice enough that I was able to use that as my music player for the past week. Just whenever, you know, in the mornings when I'm doing my work, that's what I've been bringing up instead of Amarok, which has been my go-to, which incidentally is exactly how I've been, like, that's kind of how I configure Amarok, is this exact layout. The file system on the left, the playlist on the right, I hit play, and then I ignore it for, you know, the next 45 minutes to an hour or whatever, and that's how I really, really quite prefer it. So I'm going to save this uh, this playlist right now. I'm going to save it to, I guess I'll just put it in my home directory and I'll call it test. I don't know what kind of file it is going to create. That's the thing that I'm, I'm not too sure about. So we'll go here. We'll do a less on test M3U. Cool. So it is in M3U. So that's that's pretty nice. Um, I don't I don't actually care about the formats of playlists, but M3U does typically strike me as a pretty simple format to parse. So I kind of like that, and I do know that it's a, a fairly universal format. You'll you'll find that being recognized by lots of different devices. So I think that's probably a a pretty great choice. And now, believe it or not, I'm gonna. Um, discover how to use the server component of MOCP because I have a theory now and I'll bet I'm right. So first of all, um, in the man page it tells you that you can run MOCP as a server, which I've already done. I did that when I was talking about it, so it's actually already running. And if I try it again, it tells me fatal error. Server is already running. So now I don't hear music right now, so I'm gonna do MOCP dash dash play and now I hear music. MOCP dash dash next, and it just changed tracks. I wonder if I can pause it. I can pause it, yeah. So that's really easy. Oh my gosh, that's so simple. That's really cool. So there you go. You can you can control your music player with the same, or very intuitive commands, with, with the same, the, the exact same command that you, that you used to start it. I like that a lot. I, I assumed there was going to be an MOCP server, and then you'd have to get a, a separate client to control the thing, but the client is also the server, and that's really nice. Um, another another thing to keep in mind, or to be aware of rather, is that you can also control your sound driver, which may or may not, you, you might not need to really mess around with that. I don't need to, because I use Pulse, and Pulse is um, pretty amazing for routing sound. Um, but you can do it yourself if you want. You can do um, MOCP dash dash sound dash driver or just dash capital R if you're lazy and then define where you want it to go. You can send it to ALSA, you can send it to Jack, you can send it to 
S-N-D-I-O or O-S-S or null. I don't know exactly why you would want null, but you could do that. And you'll notice that pulse is missing from that. So luckily pulse has that ALSA component to it, the ALSA plugin, that it can kind of grab things from ALSA. It, it does, it doesn't, it, it works. Um, it's a little bit, of, it's too bad that it doesn't have a direct input into pulse, into the pulse system. But um, that's fine. I mean, it, it works perfectly, you know, with the rest of my system. It's not that big of a deal, but it is something that is missing from that. Um, that's it. That's that's MOCP, really. That's all you need to know about it. It is such a beautiful little application. Really, really impressive. If you have not tried it, absolutely try it. Use the thing. It's great. Let's go get coffee. <laughs> coffee now. Now things are looking good. Things are looking better, even. They weren't looking bad before, but boy, are they looking good now. Okay, so let's talk about this other player that we have to talk about, which is called MPG123. So I don't know if there's a... This is one of those really intuitive ones. Yeah, there is a man page, too. So MPG123 plays audio MPEG 1, 2, 2.5 layers 1, 2, and 3. Three. This is basically mad play. I mean, honestly, except it's not mad play. It's MPG one two three. It is. It's. It's the. It's a console music player. It is not a fancy interface like MOCP. It's simple. It. It reads a file and plays it to your speakers. That's all. That's all it does. So you. You type in MPG one two three and you point it at a file and it plays that file. Simple as that. You can use it as a a converter, which is nice, mpg123-w, and then whatever the file name you want to save it out as, that's really quite nice. On Slackware, where SOX, S-O-X, is not compiled by default with lame built in, this is a really useful workaround for that missing component of SOX, because SOX is I mean, such a great application, but it, can't, it couldn't, at the time of Slackware 14.2, couldn't be compiled with, uh, with uh, MPEG-3 support, so that is blatantly missing from it. When you run into that problem, use this. I wish I'd known that a long time ago. So, you can do weird things too, dash 2 to downsample it in half, uh, presumably. I'm, I'm assuming they're assuming that it's a 44.1, so you can do dash 2, to cut it down to 22 kilohertz. You can do dash 4 to cut it down to 11 kilohertz. Not really sure why you'd want to, but I guess you can. Um, maybe at a, a point in time that was important for something. I'm not really sure why. Dash capital C, you can enable control keys so you can kind of maneuver around your song as it plays. You can set the f- sample rate. You can select the output module or the audio device. And that's about it, I guess. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's a useful little command, I imagine. Like I said, when I was talking about Madplay, I just don't have that many MP3s that I listen to on a very regular basis. It's really, I, I tend to almost accidentally favor the AUG files. And I guess that's just because the, 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 the files that I have as AUG or FLAC are the ones that I, that I cared about very early on and ripped myself, or I, I downloaded from, Bandcamp and specifically took as something that I 
free codecs, like FLAC, generally speaking. But FLAC, they can be big files, so sometimes I just get odd. Either way, I think I just naturally gravitate towards those for things that I kind of seek for, for long-term ownership. Gapless playback. In MPEG-3s, there was this thing at some point where, I guess, because of the beauty of, I guess, of MP3s, they couldn't apparently play music tracks smoothly as if though there was no gap between the tracks. And I guess that was a big enough problem at one point that you had to really work hard to make it gapless. And so you can use the option dash dash gapless or dash dash no dash gapless to either enable or disable the gapless, um, uh, what, uh, the gapless, uh, accounting for that gap or, or, or the lack of a gap. Really strange. I mean, my gosh, MP3, I think I said this last time, whatever, Whatever it brought to the world, you know, with this whole, hey, we can digitally encode music, isn't that exciting? Like, whatever role it had in that change of mindset, I I gotta say, it was almost completely nullified by just the quality of the thing. It was just just so embarrassing, so embarrassing to look at. And and this is, I mean, honestly, this is, that must be why I just can't. I just can't. You know, MP3, I mean, I know, it's not even, it's not valid apparently anymore, like the, the, the licensing and stuff. It's it's apparently functionally abandonware at this point. You know, it's functionally public domain, I guess. I don't know. I can't release in, in MP3. It's just not, it is, it's not a serious, serious codec. Okay, so enough about that. That That's MPG123, and I, I don't have a whole lot to, to say about it that's nice, because it's just something, not, it's not something that I use um, myself. But I, I, I'm, I'm imagining that Michael Hip and the other people who worked on MP3, uh, MP, MPG123, are really, really smart people and probably were on the cutting edge when they came out with that, that application. So I, I don't mean to disparage the application, I mean to disparage the codec. So th- those are the music players for this episode. Let's talk about most. Some of you may remember years ago now, like probably three or four or six years ago, who knows, I decided to, in earnest, try to find a replacement for less. And it wasn't necessarily that I didn't like less, I just thought that there seemed, surely there must be something better than less. I tried more, did not find that better. You know, and and everyone says, well, less is an improvement on on more. more, Less is better than more, or what is it? Less is more than more, whatever that phrase is. it, it, and it is. It's just, it is. But I didn't want to take it for granted. I thought, well, people people say less is better, but I need to know, I need to make an educated decision about this. And I, I did make an educated decision, because more, I just, I do not find it superior in any way. So there's this other thing called most. And it turns out that it is what we call a pager, which is, of course, what less and more also are. That That's what those are, most is a pager and it was okay so we could do for instance pager all in caps pager p-a-g-e-r equals most and then do let's do a man most so now we're looking at the man page of most in most it's pretty fancy um that by the way if, if you don't know that's setting an environment variable dynamically. So you you can, I'm going to press Q to exit, you can set, you can sort of override your environment variable by simply typing in your environment variable before you issue your command. So in this case, I'm pager, let's do more man most. Now we're looking at most in the more pager, and it's very basic. 
so basic in fact that things like arrow keys don't work. Q out of that, never get back into that. Pager, most, man, most. Now we're in most. Things I'm, I'm really liking right now. The, I like the color. I, the most brings color to the man pages, and that's really, really attractive. Is that something I could have elsewhere? Maybe I'm just, maybe I am not configuring something in, in a, you know, in a, in an optimal way. And sometimes, you know, the default is really the thing. I mean, we, we kind of say that about a lot of distributions, Linux distributions. Like a lot of times the selling point is how little you have to do to make it feel more like the thing that you want. Those default settings are huge. You know, it's just, it, it's just so nice. Something you don't have to learn about, something you never have to think about is just done for you. So most having nice, pretty colors throughout the man page is pretty useful, actually. I mean, here I'm scanning through the man page and I'm seeing in red, important options, dash K, dash B. And these are just in paragraphs. I mean, I know if I scroll down with the arrow keys, which do work, uh, if I know if I scroll down or control N and control P for um, previous and next line, that works as well. Or enter, that also scrolls down. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is I could scroll down to see the options and then that lists every single option. But I'm saying when you're staring at a, a wall of paragraphs, still kind of explaining things, it's just kind of nice for those those things to kind of pop because maybe you maybe you want to find just the part about a certain option. Well, there you go. You 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 see it now. The dash w option may be used to override this feature. Got it. So yeah, it's it's kind of nice. I'm really loving that the bottom of the screen in most is telling me the source of what I'm looking at. It tells me that it's from standard in, which is true because I piped typed this into most, or I loaded it into most, really. Uh, it shows me the line number that I'm on, the cursor that my, or the, um, the column that my cursor is located at, the percentage of the document that I have completed reading. So if I keep scrolling down, by a page down or a page up even, I get things like 71%, 54%, 37%. I'm going, I'm going backwards. Um, yeah, so that's really, really nice. It also tells me at the bottom of the screen, press Q to quit, H for help, space to scroll. And sure enough, if I, if I press space, it takes me screen by screen. So I can, I can look at things that way as well. Now, there are lots of more, there are lots more very cool options for most. And for the life of me, the more I've been using most for the past week, the less I understand why on earth I didn't switch to most. Um, I, I, for the life of me, I'm gonna have to go back. I've been meaning to and I haven't. I need to go back and listen to the episode where I talk about most because it's, it's just such an improvement. It really, really is nice. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if it was just, um, if there was something that, that didn't work for, for most that I used at the time that I didn't, you know, that, that was unexpected. Like something, some use case that I had that maybe was vital to me at that time that now probably wouldn't matter. So, um, that, that's not out of the, out of, out of the question. But the, um, the, the nice thing about most, one of the many nice things, is that you can do really cool window splitting controls. You can load files into most as as you are as you're just hanging out in most. So you can load a different file if you get tired of looking at the one you're in, um, and so on. So yeah, let's um, let's. This is very like really. It's, it's kind of it's refreshingly Emacs like in in some in some ways. 
For instance, if I want to split a window, I can do Control X and then the number 2, and then that splits, it gives me a horizontal split, and then I can change which uh, buffer or which pane I am in, which window pane I'm in, with Control X O. And that, that's straight out of Emacs. That is exactly the same thing. And then I can load a different file, Control X F, and I can load uh, a different, I'll load that, um, I'll load that playlist. Oh no, I won't, apparently. That's weird. Uh, it doesn't have tabbed completion. That's that's kind of interesting. There it goes. I didn't seem to understand the tilde as a shortcut for my home directory. Not sure why. Possibly because we're piping everything in from standard in. It might not. It may, maybe it didn't. Um, maybe it didn't quite realize or understand how to do do that to do do certain things that I would have expected. Any either way. Um, so now I've got two two window panes in my terminal, um, and I can switch between them. Control X O and scroll independently of the two. So it's very nice little flexible system there. Uh, if I want to get rid of one, again, just like an Emacs, Control X 0 gets rid of that. If you can't for some reason remember Control X 2 to split, you can do Control W to split, which I'm, I'm assuming they do so that when uh, the people who, who associate the word window, Control W 2, maybe that, that would be why, I'm not really sure. You can also do things like T for top, B for bottom, just once you're in the file. That's a little bit weird to me, too, because in Emacs, you would press the... Um, well, I do it with Escape, Shift, whatever that key is here on a... It's it's the W key on a QWERTY. I mean, yeah, it's W on QWERTY, but it's actually a it's a less than symbol on Dvorak, and I, I'm blanking on what's under... Oh, I can just look. Comma. Okay, so Shift, Comma is how I do it uh, on Emacs to go to the top. Uh, shift, Dot to go... Or Escape, Shift, Dot to go to the bottom. That's just how I do it. I know there are lots of different ways to do that. And then, like in Vim, you know, it's, or and I think less too, right? It's G for top and GG for bottom or vice versa, something like that. Capital G for one. I don't know. If I do it, I, I can remember it. That won't get you anywhere with this. You have T for top, B for bottom. It's intuitive, or rather, yeah, once you know it, it's memorable. Uh, it just might take you a while to, to remember it. And then you can go to a certain a certain line as well with just capital G or probably just G really. I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't go to lines all that often. Yeah, just G. Go to line 122. It doesn't exist. Um, no, it does exist. Okay. Uh, or percentage. You can go to a certain percentage of the document, which is kind of cool. And that's just the percent sign, and then it prompts you at the bottom. Go to a percent. Ten down. Now we're at ten percent down from the top. So that's kind of cool. Q to quit. So in short, most is a really nice. Pager. I strongly recommend it. I don't know why I haven't been using it all this time. I have no idea why I would have ever thought that less was was the way to go. I'm switching to most officially from now until I realize, you know, until I, I understand why I didn't switch to most permanently. It, you know, it could have just been that I had been using most and then I just forgot to reinstate it as my default on a new system. No, that doesn't make sense because it would have been in my would have been set in my bash RC file, I would have assumed. Either way, most really, really nice, definitely switching to it. And that leads us nicely, sort of, to the final application in the M section of the AP package set, and that is MC. I don't have MC installed because I don't actually like MC. So I'm going to do slack pkg install MC going to install it for this session 
for, for this recording, and then I'm going to uninstall it when I'm finished. Unless, of course, this session surprisingly converts me to MC. But MC, very, very appropriately, um, is a lot like MOCP, actually. Like, it's it's a dead ringer for it, which, when I first launched MOCP, kind of made me feel suspicious. I kind of thought, eh, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this uh, MOCP thing, because it looks a lot like that MC thing. And I know a lot of people love MC, so if you don't know what MC is, it is Midnight Commander. I mean, it's not Midnight Commander, but it is um, Midnight Commander. That's calls itself MC, a visual shell for Unix-like systems. And... It's the GNU Midnight Commander. It's a directory browser file manager for Unix-like operating systems. If you don't what if you don't know what Midnight Commander is or was, and I could be getting the name wrong, possibly Midnight Commander is not the sort of the old branded name, but there was this thing, and I want to say it was by Norton. I think it was by Norton, and this was a long time ago, like probably the the 80s. Midnight Commander is that is that right? I don't know. No, it says that this is just the thing. It's just Midnight Commander. That's the GNU implementation of that is Midnight Commander. Oh, I see it. I see. Um, people are probably shouting at me now for for several seconds. I apologize, dear listener, if you were shouting at me. It is. It was called Norton Commander. That is what this the 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 original sort of idea behind this, as I understand it was called Norton Commander, and I think it was probably something for, I, I imagine, for DOS, maybe? I mean, it looks like it's DOS to me. I don't know. And people really fell in love with it. Like, oh, there are a lot of fans of Norton, or this this model, this Commander model of, of navigating a file system. I have tried it in earnest, and I just, I cannot get it. I, it's just not quite... It isn't quite what I need in a file manager. That said, it's not bad. It's just not what I'm looking for personally. If it is something that you end up enjoying, then by all means, knock yourself out. Because it is, it's a slick application. It's just not my workflow. But hey, maybe it'll be yours. Or maybe you were a fan of Norton Commander and would love to get back into that that model and just didn't know where to look. Well, Midnight Commander is the thing that you're looking for. So if you... Oh, I think, honestly, I think the one thing, one of the things that really gets me about it is that Q doesn't quit it. I think that's probably one of the main things, to be honest. It's F10 to quit, and I don't use the F keys ever, just because I never got into that habit. Okay, so to get into Midnight Commander, and I'm going to make my turn a little bit wider here. Um, To get into Midnight Commander, you just type in MC. That's Midnight Commander, MC. And it takes you to uh, wherever you are in your file system at that moment. MC. So I'm in my home directory. And it gives you, again, a two-panel setup. So you have, on the left, you have currently your current uh, working directory. And then on the right, you have, unless uh, unless you've configured this differently, you have your, your current working directory. Now, that doesn't have to be the case. And I think this is one of the things that kind of confuses me in a weird way, that these are basically two windows. And for whatever reason, by default, you have two windows always open. I don't know why that would be. In my mind, when I bring up a file manager like Dolphin and KDE, I have one window, and if I want another one, then I bring up another win- another Dolphin window, and now I have two windows. And I can, if I want to drag from one to the other, I can do that. And then I close that other window, and now I only have one window again. That's kind of the... that's how I think about it. Now, I, you know, interestingly, if you're at a terminal, I guess you 
you have one window if we're thinking of file managing activities you have one you have one current working directory and then you never really have a second working directory you, you can send a file to another directory but and and so then i guess dynamically you have a second window open you know that that's your target there you send it and then it's gone you don't have to think about it again so that idea of a persistent second window i think might be confusing to me or or unsettling to me anyway but that's what you have. So to get to the other side, you hit tab just like in MOCP. And then you can go to some other place, which again, feels weird because now your two windows are out of sync. It's even worse, right? Uh, so I'll just go into, I don't know, let's, let me get down to my demo directory here. And to get straight to a place quickly, because obviously if you're in a file system with lots of files, that would take you forever to scroll down all the way to demo or to, you know, I don't know, the Z directory, you can do it at control S and it it brings up a little filter bar, as it were, or a search bar, I guess, and type in whatever you want and hit return. And you, it takes your selection straight down to whatever you've searched for. It's quite, quite useful. So I'll go into the demo directory. Now I've got a bunch of I've got a bunch of files there, and that's where we'll leave that. I guess I again this setup doesn't make any sense to me because I don't understand what what I'm supposed to do once you, once you get to a place. Like what are you meant to do once you're there? And do you have to be do you have to be there in order to to do your operations? I'm I'm not really sure. So anyway, I'm going to scroll through my my folder here, and I'm just going to grab a random file. Here's one, uh, pixel.png, nice tiny little file here, and uh, we'll we'll copy that over to my demo directory. So there's there are two menus in Midnight Commander. One is the top menu, which is called which has selections such as left, file, command, options, right, and then there's the bottom menu which gives you F key shortcuts. So there's F1 for help, F2 for menu, F3 for view. Actually, F3 for view sounds really good. Oh, it didn't like that. Oh, it wanted to view the file. I thought it was like a layout or something like that. That's what I thought that was. No, that's not what I wanted. Um, okay, that's fine. Oh, well, nice, nice try. So we will continue on F4 for edit, F5 to copy. So I've got my pixel.png selected, F5 to copy, and it brings up a little dialog box in the middle of the screen. And it says copy the file pixel.png using shell parameters two, and then it by default fills in the location of the second panel over on the right, which is exactly what I wanted. So yes, that makes sense. And then I can just kind of use tab to get down there to the okay, to the background or the cancel. Or once I'm in that selection, area. Actually, oh, even in the fields. I didn't realize I could do this in the fields. Um, right and left arrows. No, yeah, at the, you can't. Once, if you're in a text field, you can arrow through the text, but then you're kind of trapped in that text field, so you have to hit tab to get back out. But then you can use arrows again. It's a little bit weird to talk through, but once you get the feel for it, it, it makes sense. So I'll just press OK. It's, it's a pretty quick operation, and that copies the thing over to the demo directory and it refreshes itself immediately. I don't have to do anything to refresh the view. It just it pops it over there. You see it in both locations now. And that was a full a full interaction with, with Midnight Commander. And you can see why I, I just don't like this is not an improvement over a, a terminal, really, right? I mean like, I could have I could have done that with, with one with one in all in one go very, very quickly. A lot quicker than I 
just did it in Midnight Commander. I wouldn't have had to tolerate a pop-up window. I wouldn't have had to arrow down or tab through a bunch of selections to get to the OK and so on. So for for people who are very used to terminal navigation, and even, I'm going to argue, even if you're familiar with uh, graphical window navigation, I don't feel like this is a good substitute for either. I feel like it's this weird kind of middle area or not even a middle, it's just like an adjacent method uh, philosophy of, of managing files. And here's where I'm going to praise it, because, again, while it is not the way that I choose to, or I just can't seem to get used to managing files with this myself, I recognize that it is amazing, it's an amazing alternative to but the other two things, like the terminal and a GUI window-based environment, like a graphical desktop, this is an amazing alternative. If you don't want, for whatever reason, to work with terminal commands, if that's not what your interest is, but you also aren't at a computer that has a graphical environment, or you're choosing to use a computer without a graphical environment, I don't know why you would do that if you don't also like a terminal, but let's just say that's the situation for whatever reason. And there have been situations where this has uh, been indispensable to me because back when I was very, very first getting into Unix, I used something, so I don't think it was Midnight Commander, although I could be wrong. It may have been Midnight Commander and I just didn't quite understand it. But it was, no, you know what? It might have been Dirted in Emacs. Would that have been possible? No, that would have been later. That would have had to have been later. Either way, point is, this was great. This was great for me because I, I wasn't as good at a terminal yet to where I could just rattle off commands and file path locations. And I think a lot of us, if we've been using Linux for a long time, we forget how complex a file path is. I think I've said that before. Like, to us, the idea of a file being located in home, which home is like a dollar sign home, so we're automatically abstracting that to, well, okay, what we really mean is slash home slash clat2. Well, what we really mean is slash home slash dollar sign username, but, or dollar sign user, but that's not a, you know, we, we all know what a variable is, right? Well, no, of course, not everyone does. So we're abstracting a bunch of information just by virtue of the fact that we say, well, it's in your home directory. Okay, so assuming that people know what that means, then the idea that something is located in home slash demo, that, that just doesn't calculate with some people. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Like, what do you mean a file is in home, in my home directory? Where's my home directory? How do I get there from my desktop? I don't see a folder called home. Well, that's because when you're in your desktop and you open up your file manager, it takes you to your home. You're in your home. So forget what I said about home and just go to your demo directory. You know, it's just, we, we take these things for granted. And then explaining that and saying, well, that's what you have to type. You know, so now what do you do? You, you type slash home, slash username, slash demo, slash the file that we're actually looking for. And now what do you do with it? And But if you're in demo, then you can just type the file name. You know, it's just, it is complex for people. So having this graphical view, well, this text-based but visual, you know, very f visual kind of spatial representation of your file system, I think is a huge, huge deal for people who don't want to do it some other way. And I think it's vitally important that this exists, and I just love that it exists because I have heard from listeners, some of you may have been the people who have emailed me in the past saying, I love Midnight Commander. Like, you should check it out. It's a great application. You'll absolutely love it. Well, it turns out I don't love it, but that doesn't mean I, I, I don't respect it, because I do. I respect it a lot. I think it's a fantastic uh, application, and I will never use it again after today. Um, so I'm going to hit F2 
for the menu, and that brings up another pop-up menu. And I'm just, I have to be honest with you, the um, pop-up menu, the, just the pop-ups in this directory somehow are, they, they just, they make me very uncomfortable. I do not like the pop-up menu uh, convention. I don't find it useful. It's, um, it's just really strange that I feel that way. But anyway, um, you can bring up a pop-up menu for a bunch of contextual options. So for instance, and, and again, like all of this is great. Like I'm not, as much as I complain about this thing, it's fantastic. And it, it's, it's almost difficult. It is difficult to, it's difficult to convey how good this application is in, in many ways for as much as I also dislike it. But for instance, let's say I go to a directory. Here's my temp directory, T-E-M-P. If I'm hitting F2 for my menu, then I go to, uh, let's see, go down here to compress the current subdirectory as a tar gz, or as a tar bz2, or as a tar.7z, or as a tar.xz. All of those options right here in, in a menu form. You do not have to remember how to tar a file. You don't have to ever think about that. It's right here in this contextual menu. It's amazing. Amazing. Want to copy it to a remote host? that's in this menu as well. It's just so exciting as an interface. So I mentioned earlier that there were two menus in Midnight Commander, and indeed there are. There's the one at the bottom that's kind of telling you, I guess, I guess, is it fair to call that a menu? I mean, it's it's a listing of commands of, of the, the, the main control panel. There's a menu bar up at the top, and strangely, you, you do not access that with the F2 key. The F2 key is a context, contextual menu that you bring up. Okay, it's called, it calls itself a user menu. You can actually, you can build a better user menu. It's, it's a, apparently a relatively easy process, uh, easy configuration file to create, apparently. I've never tried it. But that's, so that's the, sort of the user menu. There is the, um, there's the, like a system menu, or what they call a menu a, a, a menu bar, which they also apparently call pull down, a pull like a pull down menu. That makes sense. It's just weird that we are we we have so many different names for it. So, to me, it's a menu, or I guess a menu bar. To them, in their help system, it is a menu bar. But in their selection description at the bottom of the screen, it is simply called pull D in. Anyway, it's the F9 key. You hit F9 key, the the F9 key, and uh, you don't really necessarily s maybe necessarily see that you're in the menu bar right away. You kind of have to look for it um, because nothing actually appears. It just kind of it makes you it makes your it, it that it just makes the menu bar the active place. Once you're there, then you can press the down arrow to then view a nice little, well, a drop-down menu, just like you would expect from a an application menu bar. Now, it depends on which which side of your screen you're in, on the left or the right, as to which um, which side of this menu bar you start on. So, for instance, if I'm over on the left, if I hit tab and I'm over on my active panel is the left, then I do F9, and the word left up at the top becomes highlighted. Hit the down arrow, and then you get all the options for the left panel. You can arrow over to the right panel, arrow down, hit options for, for the right panel. So in, in, in some cases, so there's two different views of, of your panels. There's the, the default is file view, where you're seeing just a list of your file system. F9 again, I'm going to go to the tree view. Now this, this changes things up a bit, 
and it makes whatever your active panel is, it, it turns that into a, or rather, I'm sorry, whichever panel you have highlighted in the menu, um, the left or the right, it makes that one a, a traditional tree, a file system in the tree view, where you kind of see the whole system from the root directory, and then you've got the little uh, a line sort of demonstrating each different level of directory and subdirectory and so on. Now that kind of becomes, I mean, it's still a, a place that you can you can control from, but that's kind of your, that, that remains forever your big global view of your system. And then when you go into a directory over on your tree view, that is itself reflected in your other panel as a normal file list view. So you kind of get the idea. It's kind of, um, once you get sort of a feel for the general, the general setup, you kind of start to explore and you get a feel for, for where things are and what they control. For instance, the file menu has things like view file, give me a filtered view, edit copy, chmod, link, symlink, relative symlink, that's nice, edit a symlink, chone, advanced chone, rename or move, make directory, delete, quick cd, so to quickly get somewhere. I I don't really use that, um, well, I, mean, I don't really use Midnight Commander, but um, I find that when trying to get somewhere, a control S gets me gets me to to where I want to go um, relatively quickly. But if you do a CD, the the quick CD, then you can type in the exact path that you want to get to, and it takes you there. So no matter where you are in your file system, you can just jump right there. You know, like the CD command. Why that would be the the avenue that you would take? Again, I just I don't quite understand, but. I imagine for people who generally like this, maybe this is maybe that's just a nice shortcut. And there is a shortcut for it. You don't actually have to go through the menu. You can go um, Alt C for the quick CD. Um, so that's that's kind of handy, probably. And then finally, there's an options menu which gives you oh, and a command menu which gives you uh, help with like swapping panels or switching a certain panel on or off or comparing directories. Uh, looking at your command history, looking at background jobs, getting a list of active screens, and then an options menu for all your configuration and layout and appearance options. So you don't have to stare stare at a um, a blue screen all day. You can you can change your theme and so on. So that's that's Midnight Commander. It's a big application. There's a lot to it. I'm gonna hit F10 and then I'm gonna uh, do a remove PKG. MC and that removes it from my system. Um, it's a big, it's a big system. It is. It's really, it's a complex application, meaning it can do a lot. You can do a lot with it. And uh, if that's something that appeals to you, by all means, check it out. GNU Midnight Commander. It will bring you back to your old DOS days, I guess. And uh, if not, then it will just, it will just be a, a, a different way for you to navigate your file system, to move files around, to compare directories, and so on. So once again, not my cup of tea, but definitely something that I know a lot of people love, and they're really good at it, and they love it, and they're going to use it, and I applaud them. Personally, if I'm going to use that kind of system, like that in that within that neighborhood, it's Dured in Emacs all the way, just because that's what I learned. I just didn't know what to do with Midnight Commander the couple of times I checked it out. Couldn't get into the, the into the flow of Midnight Commander. But Dured, because it was easy and 
it was, well, it was, I, I say it's easy. It's easy because I was in Emacs anyway, and I thought, oh, that's a cool trick. Let me try that. And then it just kind of, it stuck around. It's just something that kind of was always there. And I didn't have to leave Emacs that way. It was just quite nice. So I feel, and, and it, it, I think it has the right mix of familiar command mode. You know, you just type Emacs and then you tell it dir ed dash whatever you want to do. Or, or if you've assigned a keyboard shortcut to it, you can just issue that for your, if, to, to get the thing done. It just had the right mix of sort of being a visual representation that's just interactive enough, but also just command-driven enough to to kind of get me by. And to be fair, I don't really use Dured that much. It's just something that I do use on occasion when it's convenient. Midnight Commander is exactly what a lot of people are looking for when they want that hybrid experience of, yeah, I need something a little bit more visual than random commands that I may or may not think to type into a terminal, but I don't want to go all the way with a window, sort of graphical window-y kind of desktop. So I, I imagine it's a huge deal for those people. It's probably also a huge deal for people who are doing certain commands that they know really well on in a terminal, but they are not so familiar with the nuts and bolts of file paths and CDing around and moving and copying and all that other stuff. So Midnight Commander probably is, is quite nice for that. Check it out if it's something that appeals to you. That's all of the M's in the AP package set, so we're done. I mean, we're, we're done the M series in the AP package set. We're not done done by any means. There's lots more to go, so tune in next time. We'll talk about Nano, Normalize, and others. Talk to you later. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
You abnormal! <laughs> <laughs>